Howdy, friends. Andy Vance here, co-host of the 11 Dubcast. Welcome to this week's episode. Before we get rolling, I wanted to give just a brief disclaimer. Johnny and I recorded this episode, which focuses quite a bit on the news that Quinn Ewers is reclassifying to the class of 2021 and will enroll at the Ohio State University and join a crowded quarterback's room sooner than anyone expected. Our conversation and interview with recruiting guru Andrew Ellis occurred before Ewers announced that he was officially reclassifying. It was still reported that he was considering at the time of our conversation. So I just wanted you to have that brief bit of context as you listen to this week's episode. Now, here's the 11 Dubcast. Quarterback recruiting just got interesting thanks to the NIL era. Ohio State gets maybe the highest rated D commit ever, and we'll touch a little bit about what's happening in the crazy world of conference realignment and expansion, all that and more in this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy. Joining me as always is the lovely, the talented, the educated Johnny Ray Ginner. And Johnny, what a week, what a week. And really, I mean, right up to almost the minute we hit the old record button, news breaking in the era of college football as it relates to the Ohio State University. We'll talk about that with the decommitment news coming up momentarily. But I want to start with something you and I have been covering all off season long. That is the ways in which name, image, and likeness and the changes regarding how players can profit off their name, image, and likeness are changing college sports and specifically college football. We got the first maybe really big taste of that aside from just seeing sponsored ads pop up on players' Instagram feeds in Quinn Ewer's announcement that he is considering enrolling a year early at Ohio State based on whether or not he could profit off NIL while still in high school. Uh, number one, what was your reaction when you heard this story? Is this the sort of thing like you have been expecting as you have been covering and writing about this, or did this one kind of come out of left field and say, Hmm, dang, this is a little bit different than what I saw coming. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to start this response by it's going to, it's going to seem kind of out of left field, but I, I promise it'll circle back around and, and make sense. So I think there is a difference between, um, knowledge and intelligence, or rather being smart and being intelligent, I guess is a better way to put it. So someone who's smart, I believe has a lot of knowledge, right? I consider myself to be fairly smart, right? I, I know a lot of things I, I read, I, you know, whatever, but that doesn't necessarily make me intelligent. Intelligent means that what you can do is you can take that information that you have and then look at certain situations or new pieces of information that you get and then apply previous pieces of information to understand new information better. I don't know how intelligent I actually am, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, and, and this is one of the, the ways I, I kind of justify that, that mode of thinking that, that, that whole, you know, atmosphere, I guess, of, of what it means to be smart versus intelligent, because I had no idea that something like this could be coming, right? Like I've been thinking about NIL for a long time now. I've been looking at the potential ramifications and blah, blah, blah. This is how I know I'm not maybe particularly intelligent is that in no way would I have been able to predict that a high school senior would be like, hell no, I'm going to go make my cash and I'm going to skip my senior year of high school because the state of Texas doesn't allow me to profit at this point in time and i'd rather just graduate early get on campus and then make my money that's something i feel like is a logical end result of what nil is and you know it's hard to see all the variables in the future and things like that but it's it's something that makes sense because why the hell wouldn't you if i were a high school senior 
rated like, you know, 1.00, 1,000%, 1,000% on 24-7, one of the greatest recruits in the history of the universe. Hell yeah, I want to go to high, you know, I'm going to finish my high school early and getting on campus and, and make money. So, you know, if yours thinks that he can make, you know, seven figures from uh, what, a kombucha company? <laughs> sipping some tea then hell yeah I, I think you should do that so i was surprised but not shocked because i was surprised that it happened and i hadn't thought about that potentiality you know of, of all that happening but it makes complete sense it's super logical and uh it's gonna make for a weird quarterback situation at ohio state but um i, I certainly don't blame the guy for wanting to do that so if he ends up on campus then more power to him make some money dude Later in the program, we will talk with in-house recruiting guru, Andrew Ellis, who you should be following on the twitter.com at Teddy Heisman at Teddy Heisman there at Twitter, a wealth of information um, about everything Ohio State recruiting. We'll be talking with him later, but long, later, later on in the program. And we're going to raise that question about the situation it makes for Ohio State in the room, so to speak, if yours really does enroll a year early. I, I want to focus on the bigger picture a bit more, Johnny, as you've alluded to here, the longer term implications for the sport as a whole. I think for a lot of us, and I'm not necessarily a, you know, get off my lawn dinosaur, change is bad because, you know, it's change kind of guys. But I, I will say it does feel a little weird that we've, you know, gone from how weird it felt seeing players sit out on bowl games i mean really that's just a phenomenon that's happened in the last couple of years mm -hmm. you know, in, in essence to protect their draft stock and, and we've kind of gotten used to that and now we're talking about the idea that okay players are going to consider what kind of money they can make on nil as part of the recruiting process what what schools and brands and positions and so on you know how how does that allow me to best monetize my brand i guess my own personal brand if i'm a player now now we're at a stage where we're talking about high school students looking and, and, and we should say it's not unusual for elite level talent to leave high school early and enroll early at the university of their choice but that in this case it's being based specifically on the opportunity to make money versus hey i think i can get better as an athlete if i go and enroll a semester early mm -hmm. and and get in for spring workouts and all that sort of thing like that the implications of this are pretty are pretty broad for the sport in general the trickle down effect but but, but i guess what i keep coming back to is i always use the greg odin example you know greg odin needed to go get paid when he did because if he didn't he was never going to get paid Right. And, and I don't know that that applies in the same way to a high school quarterback uh, as it did to, to Greg Oden, but the time value of money, and I, and I say this as somebody who studied graduate level economics, like the time value of money is a real thing. So mm -hmm. isn't, isn't it just rational self-interest for yeah. a kid that talented to say, I got to get mine now. Cause it may not be there tomorrow. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, especially in a sport like football, I mean, this, you know, not to denigrate baseball, a sport I very much love, but, you know, every play in football could be your last play in football, right? Mm -hmm. So viewers wants to go out and, and get some cash as soon as he can. I mean, it, it makes logical sense. I think it makes, you know, logistical sense in terms of like, you know, if you want to maximize your earning potential, then yes, like you just said, you know, you've, you've got a very finite amount of time to do that. Go ahead and do that ASAP. And, and um, money that you make today is worth more than money you make tomorrow, by the yeah, way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the theory of the time value of money, right? If I have and, it in my pocket today, I right. can I can use that money to make more money, and I will make more money doing that than if you give me the same amount of money tomorrow. 
Plus, if you get on the ground floor of a kombucha tea company that ends up having like an IPO of like five trillion dollars, then you you're set for life. God, right? I love I, I love that this is coming back to a kombucha company because it's not like you know we're talking about uh, you know buy low, sell high. Look, <laughs> no, it's it's smart though, and and I love that. Did, these he, did he get hippie... equity as part of this deal? I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, I hope so. I, yeah, I'm like with you. But, I hope. Yeah, but these these hippie tea making, you know, whatever, you know, these these just people chilling on their back porches drinking some gross hippie tea out of the kombucha. jars. Not your thing, huh? No, but they're making, but they're they're making a smart business investment, and I think yours is smart to invest himself into a a you know a company that clearly believes in him and you know, wants to make money hand in hand. So I, I, like I said, I think this is a good idea on his part. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's going to be some people who might wring their hands and be like, oh man, you know, all these kids are going to be coming out of high school early. I'm like, okay, but if they've got the credits and they can graduate, first of all, that's already been happening, right? Like how many times do we talk about, oh, is this kid going to be on campus early in, in February or whatever? Well, that means they graduated. <laughs> that means they graduated early. That's been happening forever. You're just adding a monetary element to it. So I don't see that that's that much different than what's already been happening. Um, the other thing though, and I, I know some people may worry about this is that, okay, you've got a guy who's 18 years old and, and Quinn yours is 18 years old now who, you know, he's going to make seven figures. Like how will we be able to handle that? And that, that I think is maybe out of all of this NIL stuff, I think that is probably the most valid concern that people who are a little hesitant about this, um, might be bringing up because you're going to need to have a good support system around kids who are going to be making this much money. And that's something that I think a lot of times people could take advantage of, they could find themselves in bad situations. So hopefully the support system that they have in terms of their family and friends is good. Hopefully the support system that they have in terms of the colleges that they're going to is good because that, that could be a real sticky wicket for some kids. And um, I think that's a legitimate concern. Um, but that that certainly is an invalidation of the process. It just means there has to be that support there to help them out. Yeah, and that's one of the things that you you hope, and you hope if you're a parent of a student that you you're looking at this as part of that process. You yeah. know, if you're involved in the recruitment, it, your hope is that a school like Ohio State, and then they're not alone in this. The other schools, will, you know, will have the same type of or or level or ability to provide the same kind of support you're talking about. Mm -hmm. That's one where you hope the school is, and the schools can only do so much, right? I mean, let's be clear about that. It's not like we can assume or expect that Ohio State's going to be running in portfolio managers for. <laughs> Yeah. Every recruit, you know, and, 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 Hey, you and I've talked about this too. The number of people who are going to have their hands out with uh, not the student's best intentions at heart is, is going to be legion. Uh, right. So I do think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's a big concern. Um, part of me says, you know, but this all depends again on kind of the, the home life and, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of support system they have at home. Part of me says that senior in high school may be better positioned than, you know, let's say a sophomore in college where they've already oh, got that taste of freedom. Yeah. You know, so maybe, no, seriously, I don't know. Though, like, that's not a, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't think you're wrong on that. Honestly, though, they, first of all, I think sometimes we don't give kids enough credit for being as smart as they are and being able to navigate some of this stuff because 
to a lot of people, especially people our age and older, I think they look at this and go like, well, this is just wild, crazy stuff. But I think for a lot of kids who are 18 years old, 19 years old, this is something that is a logical extension of something that maybe they already do or a world that they already kind of understand. And they may be better equipped to seek out what they need than you think. It, it, like I said, that support just has to be there when they need that. Um, but I agree with you, man. Like it's, it's, it's a brave new world and everybody's gonna have to make some adjustments to it. You know, Johnny, you're talking about the situation with yours and one of the biggest implications aside from what it means for the sport in general is the nitty gritty of what this means for the quarterback room at Ohio state. And so to talk about that, we're going to bring in, as I mentioned earlier, in-house recruiting expert guru extraordinaire, Andrew Ellis, who you can find on Twitter at Teddy Heisman. So Andrew, let's, let's just give folks a little bit of a reset. What is the quarterback recruiting situation at Ohio state right now? It feels like we've got about a hundred quarterbacks either in the room or in the pipeline. This is going to be a super young quarterback room as it is, but Ewer's announcement about potentially enrolling earlier kind of, kind of throws a really interesting wrinkle into that situation. So maybe give us the 30,000 foot view and view and we'll work down from there. Right. So Ryan day and Corey Dennis, you know, they obviously have the, the number one player in the country for the 2022 class in Quinn Ewers. So I think when you look at it that way, it's, I think they were going to kind of, I don't want to say take a cycle off, but maybe not look for that five-star guy in the class of 2023, just because of how loaded the room is going to be, you know, with three, five-star guys alone with Stroud McCord and then, and then Ewers. So I think the original plan was going to be just take a guy in 23 and then take another big name in 2024. I don't want to call it skipping a cycle, but you're just kind of, I guess, slowing things down a bit. Now, if he reclassifies and enrolls here in the next few weeks during camp or whatever, they're going to have to really kind of speed things up and just completely alter their plans with quarterback recruiting. I mean, they're going to need to get another big name in 2023 um, to kind of compete with those guys. So it's, it's really just kind of a fascinating situation. Cause I've, I, I mean, I, I haven't gone back to this, but it seems unprecedented to have a uh, quarterback room with four guys with freshman eligibility. Um, but if he, if he shows up early, it's going to completely, completely shake up the way they're recruiting quarterbacks right now. They've really been kind of slow playing things um, with, with viewers in the fold. And then obviously because of COVID as well, not being able to see some of those guys live. Um, but, you know, if he if he's going to be showing up here in the next few weeks, uh, they're going to have to be they're going to have to be moving, getting things rolling, moving forward for the class of 2023 um, and beyond, really. How much communication do you think is between like yours and the coaching staff when it comes to something like this? Is this is this a decision that I'm not saying that it come together mutually, but how much was Ryan Day and company do you think were aware of, of yours plans when it comes to that? You know, I, I think they're in an interesting spot. Like, I do think I do think they were aware because I know um, Quinn and his dad, Curtis, are like always communicating with them. Mm-hmm. But if you're Ryan Day and, and Corey Dennis and you look at your, you know, your depth chart right now, it uh, the better way to the, the perfect way for things to play out would be for him to to come in when he's supposed to come in right. next January, not come in for this season. Um, that'll that'll give you a little bit of separation between him and the guys you got in the room now. But you know, if you're Ryan Day and Corey Dennis, you can't risk like suggesting that to him because, exactly. then he, you know, then he's going to go and, and, you know, go to go back with Texas or maybe he gets that Clemson offer, that kind of thing. So they're really in a they're really in a tough spot. I do think they know what's been going on, but it's like, you know, all you can really do is throw your hands up in the air and, you know, say, what are you going to do about it? You're not going to tell the kid no. Um, 
And from what I understand, like he's not really the kind of kid that's going to just come in and take like a, you know, voluntary red shirt year or something like that. He's, mm-hmm. he's going to come in and try to play. I don't know how realistic that is, but that, that seems to be the plan, but they're, they're in a tough spot really with this. I, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Texas and we'll come back to, I want to get your take on how the, the big news last week of Texas and Oklahoma uh, picking up their, their Conestoga wagons and heading Southeast. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute and particularly as it relates to yours. But one thing I'm, I'm curious about with this quarterback room situation. So there's a train of thought or a theory out there that says this whole thing is kind of throwing down a chip, throwing down a marker to the state of Texas, to the, 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 the powers that be there to change the situation with regard to NIL. I mean, how much of that do you think is, does that story have legs that, Hey, this is, this is about the politics of changing NIL rules in Texas high school football versus, Hey, no, this guy really is ready to get on campus, Ohio state. See, I think, I think both, both things can kind of be true. Like, I think part of this is, you know, his efforts to kind of change the the legislation in in Texas or influence the lawmakers or whatever. Um, Even if it doesn't like impact him directly, you know, he could arrive in Columbus here in the next few weeks and maybe they do change that legislation and maybe it kind of helps out some of the other guys that are, you know, coming down the pike behind him. So I think that there could be some some legs to that theory, but I also think that he's ready to come and learn under Ryan Day. I mean, even even playing in the the top division or top class in Texas or whatever against like elite competition, I mean, you're going to learn so much more from Ryan Day and, and Corey Dennis than you are during a fall football season, even in the most talent rich state in the country. So I, I do think there might be some legs to that, but I don't think it's just about influencing um, the Texas lawmakers or whatever. What do you think happens to the quarterback room? You know, let's say yours gets on campus, right? You've got all these guys, like you said, with freshman eligibility, they're not all going to stay on campus, right? Like that's, that's, that's certainly just, that's not going to happen. So what happens? I mean, who, who ends up deciding to leave? How, how long do they decide to stay? All that kind of stuff. I mean, how much does that blow up that quarterback room? Oh, I think it blows it up entirely. I mean, even before there was any chatter about yours coming in this season, I mean, we had, we had all said at least one of those guys, Miller, Stroud, or McCord is going to leave the program. I mean, right. and I think that's still inevitable. And now you might be looking at two guys, um, you know, and I, I don't want to pick on Jack Miller just because he was the, you know, the least touted of the bunch coming in as a high school prospect with, I think he was a three-star on some sites and whatnot, but I, 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 if I'm being honest, like, I think he's maybe the one you got to watch just because he, you know, in the spring game was a little rough and that kind of thing. And all the chatter we've had over the last few months has been mostly about Stroud. You know, there's some, there's some people that think McCord could factor into that too, but some, somebody's going to be out. And I don't know if it's too late now to do that before. I feel like there was a, wasn't there like a cutoff date is when you can transfer that might be behind us, but they're, they're going to lose at least one guy. And it's, it's just going to completely shake things up. And I'm fascinated to see how Ryan Day and Corey Dennis handle this. If Quinn Ewers does reclassify, it's going to be, it's going to be unlike anything we've ever seen, quite honestly. You know, one of the things that I have been guilty of myself as a fan of the local college football team is, is living the old adage that the most popular guy on the team is the backup quarterback. I feel like we're coming into a situation now where, Ryan Day and Corey Dennis uh, are going to be just under the gun from the get-go. Uh, it, it reminds me of QB Geddon here a few seasons back with 
you know, who, who do you start uh, Cardale Jones or do you start JT Barrett or do you, I mean, this, the situation is setting itself up to just be ugly. If the first guy up doesn't look like a Heisman contender, the first snap of the game, right? I, I just, this feels really perilous for the staff trying to navigate the both internal and, and then just, my God, the fans are going to be unbearable if QB number one struggles, whoever that ends up being. Am I, am I setting this up to be a bigger <laughs> headache nightmare scenario than it is? Or is this one of those where you say, Oh hell man, you want to have all of the good quarterbacks in the room and figure it out. And Ryan day gets paid bajillions of dollars to do that. Like, which, you know, how should I feel about this at this point, Andrew, are you, are you sweating yet? Or is this a good problem to have? I, I mean, I'm, I think it's a, it's a good problem to have, but you know, you're, you're completely right. When you say the, the fan base reaction is going to be incredible to see, because if, if let's say CJ Stroud does win the starting job and he throws an interception against Oregon or hell, even against Minnesota, or even just sails a ball over Garrett Wilson's head. I mean, you're going to have the, the, the Twitter people out there calling for Kyle McCord or, or calling for, for Quinn Ewers or Jack or uh, Jack Miller. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to be like that all season. You know, I mean, CJ Stroud could have a five touchdown, perfect performance against Minnesota in week one. And then the moment he does something wrong against, against Minnesota or excuse me, against Oregon, it's going it, to, it's just going to hit the fan on, with the fan base on, on Twitter and on social media. I mean, I, Andrew, I got to tell you something, man, sorry to interrupt. He doesn't have CJ Stroud. Let's say he's a starting quarterback. He could still be great. He could be perfect. And there still would be those camps there would still be people standing for whatever quarterback they think should by rights be the quarterback. Like that's, that's what I think so nuts about this. And, and that's what really blows my mind is that you have all this talent, right? You have all of these incredible uh, athletes who have so much potential and we're trying to parse just how angry we're going to be <laughs> based on certain like wiser wherefores, like within the first couple of weeks of the season. And here's, here's what I like. I'm going to add to this conversation, which is I think that it is in Ryan Day's best interest. You can tell me if I'm wrong on this to tell Quinn Ewers at the outset, you are not going to be able to be the starter at the beginning of the season, no matter how you'd be on campus tomorrow. It, it's not possible. Like if I were him, that's what I would tell him straight up because I don't think that he should entertain the kind of horse race that and he meaning Ryan Day that I think us as fans and the fan base in general are going to create over the next couple of months I don't know I does that make sense is that do you think that's reasonable yeah I, I think it's reasonable I think and 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 you know Ryan Day would probably would not be lying about that because we were we were I know we were talking about this in Slack and we you know I think I said what what are the chances of Quinn Ewers starting a game if he enrolls this year and I think I said 10 percent and I immediately realized that's way too high yeah um, but, but again, I, I just, I know if you handle things the wrong way and I, and we all have full faith in Ryan day, he's proven to be a great, great recruiter, great coach, but I just worry that if you handle things the wrong way, that it could rub the, you know, kind of rub the kid wrong. And I, you know, I don't think that's going to happen, but like you said, I think he has to be, he has to be honest with him. Like he has to. And, and I think, I think Quinn Ewers is probably, he's a competitor, but I think he's probably smart enough to know he's a little bit behind the eight ball. Um, even with, I mean, last season, if we were talking about a typical 2020 season mm -hmm. when C.J. Stroud and, 
and Jack Miller got like full seasons of workout and, you know, got to play more in garbage time in some of those games that would have been played, then, then yours would be even more, you know, kind of behind things, but there's no way he's going to play, but for Ryan day, it's just a hard situation to handle because you don't want to, you don't want him to leave. Not that he's given any, any indication he's gonna, but I don't know. Yeah, it's it's just fascinating to me because you still have, like I said, all that talent behind them and not even behind them, ahead of them. I mean, they're already on campus, right? Kyle McCord's already there. Jake Miller's already there. CJ Stroud's already there. Um, I I don't know. If I'm if I'm Ryan Day, I'm telling Quinn, I mean, look, dude, you're gonna be great, you're gonna be awesome. Not yet. You you you're not even you're not there yet. And I think you have to risk pissing him off a little bit, honestly. I don't know. You know, Andrew, I want to I want to jump off that to something I've been pondering. Johnny and I've been talking about NIL all summer long and the ways that it is or is changing the recruiting game or maybe just at least the extra dimension of recruiting. You know, I think we've we've chuckled about the bag men and uh, so on kind of, you know, operating in the shadows. And now, you know, money is a factor out of the shadows. How much more difficult, like, I think I've been looking at this as a net positive for Ohio state or schools like Ohio state that have huge fan bases, a lot of, you know, sponsor support and companies who are interested in supporting those athletes and whatnot, but how much harder has recruiting gotten for a school like Ohio state because of the implications that, Hey, these players want to come in and get paid. So I think you're absolutely right about Ohio state just being in a great spot with the NIL stuff just because of, you know, the city of Columbus, the opportunities there, that kind of thing. Um, I think where it maybe makes things harder is when you're going up against a school like USC, who's in, you know, the biggest market in the country or second biggest market in the country, whatever. And a school that, you know, has some success in the past, albeit not so much recently, but I mean, we've seen a couple kids recently that were being recruited by Ohio state that, visited visited los angeles visited usc and then came out of that visit already committed to usc and i think when you're when you're looking at the big picture with the nil stuff a lot of it's going to be just about about the demographic the market that kind of thing and i think usc is going to be kind of one of the few programs that can really kind of be a thorn in ohio state side with that um especially if you know they're they start being good again and you know clay helton's job is not in jeopardy like it has been for the last five years but I think overall, though, with NIL, I mean, Ohio State's going to benefit from that more than anything. I mean, they've already got all the all the branding stuff they do. I know when they have recruits visit, they sit down and like do this whole build your brand session. And that's been big with them before um, the, the real life Wednesday stuff they've been doing for forever now. And just everything Mark Pantone and his crew, you know, can do. It's going to be it's going to be a positive for Ohio State as a whole. But just a school like USC, I can see that being a bit problematic moving forward. And it really already has been here in the last month or so. I want to pivot because I don't want to uh, I, I, I don't want to keep you past uh, your expiration date here and, and monopolize your day. But uh, we do need to talk about the less good news. So could could uh, move from something that's interesting slash concerning in the Ewers situation to uh, a situation that I'm sure uh, fans have probably already broken the break in case of emergency bottle of situational bourbon to talk about. And that is the decommitment of five-star cornerback Jaheim Singletary. So I, you know, I think this is one of those things that has been percolating in the ether for, for a little while now. Um, Andrew, how, how concerning is this? Obviously a decommitment's never one of those things that you celebrate, but you know, on a scale of, uh, oh, well, these things happen to DEFCON one, 
nuclear codes at play here. How concerning is this particular decommitment? So I, I think anytime you get a commitment from a player in Florida and you get it early in the process, um, a lot of times people say a commitment from a player in Florida early in the cycle basically just tells you that that player is interested in your school <laughs> because you have to spend the next, however long it may be recruiting that kid, you know, some of these kids have like handlers and things like that that are working with them and different camps and trainers and that sort of thing. Uh, but this is a big loss. I mean, even with even with uh, four corners committed now down to three, he he was the best of the bunch. Um, five star kid. I think I think his player comp in his two four seven sports profile is Jalen Ramsey. Uh, he's a long corner that that we've seen Kerry Combs uh, get before and. It, it's kind of been a rocky situation for the last couple months because he's taken visits to Georgia. He's, he's openly told people that he's going to be getting to Miami a lot. And that's exactly what happened this weekend. And here we are today. And, you know, a couple hours ago, he came out and said that he was opening back up his recruitment. So it, it is a, it is, it does sting, but I guess if you're Ohio state and you're looking at it, we still have three really good cornerbacks committed and I mean, maybe they can, maybe they can keep swinging at Singletary and get him back in the fold. Um, I, I think back to, to Sean Wade's recruitment, he committed to Ohio state early. I think it was actually right around the time of the national championship game against Oregon. He committed. Um, but you know, he was taking visits the entire way up until he, he signed his letter of intent. We talked about Alabama and Florida and Miami with him and he ended up sticking it out. So that's a lot different than this situation considering today's news, but they're just going to have to keep recruiting him. And I think they will. And um, if they if they can't get him back in the fold, he's probably going to end up at Georgia or Miami. Um, you know, Miami, I I guess I could see Georgia making sense for somebody like that. Miami, just with the way their program's trending, not so much. But this one stings. If we're doing like a one to ten sting meter, that kind of thing, I would say this is probably about an eight point five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not great news, but they do still have three other guys committed. So it's not it's it's not DEFCON territory quite yet. Is there anyone else in that class that they would, you know, consider replacing him with or is it just kind of one of those things where they're going to move on to a different target a different position what does that look like um i i think they could look at so will johnson is committed to michigan his dad is a michigan legacy so he kind of i don't want to say forced the kid's hand but that kid was leaning for leaning toward ohio state for a bit there you know maybe they swing for the fences with him and you know the michigan coaching staff isn't exactly in a great spot right now either so that might be something to watch moving forward um, and then Damani Jackson, he's a California kid who's committed to USC. And, you know, like we said a few minutes ago with, with Clay Helton's job security, not being that great, maybe something happens this fall and, you know, maybe the coaching staff there gets, you know, kicked out and he reopens things. Those would be the two names I would watch, but they might just look ahead to the 2023 class. There's a couple guys out there right now they're looking at, I know there's a kid named AJ Harris, who's from Alabama, Georgia area. I think he lives right on the border, but I think Ohio state's probably at the top of his list. He's a five-star guy and they might just move, move on from 2022 and put all the chips in that basket. So they got some options, but um, yeah, this wasn't the best bit of news on a, on this lovely Sunday. You know, you mentioned the, the thing about Florida recruiting in general. I think, I think it was a coach named urban Meyer. I seem to recall saying a heard of him. Ver- verbal commitment <laughs> uh, just means you're in the kid's top three. I, I, I seem to recall that was how he, how he put that uh and this is a good good reminder of that as we finish out our time with you andrew ellis again friends you can follow him on twitter at teddy heisman uh other things that the discerning listener should be watching or aware of in the days to come 
with regard to Ohio State recruiting, things you're excited about uh, or, or prospects that fans maybe should be watching here as we finish out the summer? Um, well, the, we're, we're heading back into a dead period. So there was like a, there was a brief like week long window here this past week when kids could get back on campuses. I know Ohio state had their big barbecue event on Thursday. Um, I would be watching the, the trenches right now. Larry Johnson doesn't have a commitment yet from, from anybody, um, which is Larry Johnson kind of goes at his own speed with recruiting. So that's not really a concern or anything, but, um, a, a kid named Kenyatta Jackson from down in Florida, I believe it's Hollywood, Florida. He took like a four day visit to Columbus this week. And I don't think he has plans for a commitment, but you know, you never know with, with, with these kids and something just popping out of nowhere. And this is Ohio state versus Oklahoma right now. And I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure it's pretty sure it's safe to say Larry Johnson is defensive line development has kind of been a little bit better than what they've had down in Norman. So I, I would keep an eye on that one. And then really it's just mullet watch right now. When is the, when is the Quinn Ewers decision going to come? I would, I would imagine it could be by the end of the day today, if not Monday or Tuesday. So that's the biggest thing to be on the lookout for here in the next three to four days or so, I would say. Okay. You made a liar out of me because I am going to ask you one more question. I, I mentioned it earlier and and almost forgot, almost let you out of here without getting your take on this one. Okay. So last week's big news that Texas and Oklahoma just flipped the double birds to the rest of the big 12 and are joining the Southeastern now slash Western conference, uh, making it the first of the super conferences to come perhaps. How does this change the recruiting game for those two schools? Is being part of the SEC more of a draw than the Texas and Oklahoma brands were already? And if I'm an Ohio State fan, should I be concerned that we're going to have a harder time rating the state of Texas than we have had in recent years? Ohio State's done pretty darn well in Texas. Does, does the Horns having that SEC magic suddenly make them more marketable? Um, I, I think when you're looking at when you're looking at the move, I think yes, being in the SEC is definitely more of a draw to them than you know than being in the Big 12. But when you look at Texas as like maybe about an eight and four team in the Big 12 somewhere in there, and then you throw that program, albeit I know Tom Herman's gone and now you got Steve Sarkeesian there, but you throw them into the SEC and no one can realistically think that Texas is going to get better with, you know, what's going to be a far more difficult schedule. Hey, hey the Texan, so, the Texas fans think they're, they're going yeah. to get, they're going to get better. I mean, they're pretty well convinced. <laughs> yeah. 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 They want, they want Bama right now. I get it. Yes, uh, yeah. they do. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I just think, you know, the SEC, the, the allure of the SEC is real in the Southeastern part of the country and really, you know, kind of in the state of Texas too. And, uh, but I still think schools like Ohio state, Alabama, LSU are still going to be going into the state of Texas and they're still going to be able to pluck guys out of there on occasion. Now is Ohio state going to do it at the absurd rate they've been doing it at lately? I, I don't know. I think it's going to, it's going to kind of spice things up a bit in that state. It's not a death blow to Ohio state's recruiting or anything, but if, if those Texas fans are right and Texas goes undefeated and wins an Addy the first year they're in the SEC, then that, that would shake things up a bit. But you know, I, I don't think this is that big of a deal to Ohio state. It's just going to kind of make things a little more interesting. Uh, o- Oklahoma, I think Oklahoma is always going to compete with, Ohio state in the top programs for the skill position. So I don't think this move impacts them all that much from a recruiting standpoint, but it, it could be a big deal for Texas if Sark can turn things around. So that's what it's going to come down to. I think. Andrew Ellis, you can find him on Twitter at Teddy Heisman at Teddy Heisman on Twitter. And as always, of course, 
read his fantastic coverage of all things recruiting at 11warriors.com, a fine website I'm sure you heard of. Yeah, so talking about the SEC Texas thing, as uh, as you know, we talked last week at length about the news that the Southeastern Conference is going to get a bit bigger. It's it's happening. It's happening, Jeff, mm-hmm. friends, because just eight days after the news broke that Oklahoma and Texas had been courting the SEC officials uh, of the conference invited the Longhorns and Sooners to join, and they formally accepted the invitations on Friday. So it looks like the 2025-26 academic year would be when this huge shift happens. In theory, the Big 12 is on its last legs. And and then, Johnny, things got really interesting when Bob Bowlesby, commissioner of the Big 12, took out his pen and drafted a sternly worded letter to ESPN, the four-letter network, the worldwide leader in sports of Mouse House, ABC Disney fame, and said, y'all, quit trying to put us out of business. Man, this story just gets more and more and more interesting. It's It's got enough drama in there to be a bestseller on the New York Times list. What do you think? It's pretty hilarious. And all of the, I mean, the the desperation coming out of the Big 12 is really the funniest part. But I also do really enjoy um, how every, seemingly every Texas team is now trying to compete for like most mediocre because Texas football at the collegiate level is not great uh, as of right now. you know, you could say that maybe AM had a pretty decent year last season, but that that's really hard to even tell, honestly. I mean, they they played basically like one actually good team and got completely skunked. Um, it, there is such a slap fight going on between these Texas teams right now, and it's going to last for another four years because the Big 12 is not going to let this thing go quietly into that good night. They are going to rage, rage against the dying of the light, and they, like, it's doomed. I mean, the big 12 is completely and utterly doomed at this point. And I know that every other, you know, B and C level team in that conference is looking elsewhere for a place to go. But the whole thing is really funny to me. And, you know, Bullsby is basically just kind of like looking for somebody to blame. And what am I going to do for the next four years? It's just, it's really funny. It's really, really, really funny. And conference realignment, you know, people, I think when we think about it and we talk about it, it's like this grand narrative where, you know, these, these worlds are shifting and, you know, these plans are coming to fruition and these Machiavellian leaders of these conferences are figuring things out. And I, I really think it's more just, you know, yakety sacks and, and red skeleton, you know, it's just, it's not, it's, it's not that planned out. It's just not that planned out. It's a bunch of dummies kind of flying by the seat of their pants and uh, hoping they get in the most advantageous position for the future. And I think, but you know, I, I think Ohio state fans, I know I was, I was in this category. I think when they heard Bowlesby's statement and, and throwing, throwing the dart at ESPN, I think a lot of people probably said, Oh yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like I think, but that's dumb. (laughs) It's fun. It's fun to think about. I mean, it's fun to think about, you know, these guys basically being a bunch of monkeys humping a football behind the scenes. Yeah. But I think we want to logically find who the puppet master is. And it just makes sense that it's ESPN saying, Hey, you know, what would be great is if all the good football teams were in the conference that we have a financial sure. relationship. And Bowlesby convinced that that's the case. I just, I, I don't see that. You don't, you don't think that's actually really happening. I, and I, I know that ESPN, ESPN will make money off of whoever they, they think they can make money off of. And 
everyone in this story is acting in their own self-interest. I don't think that ESPN has stayed completely silent, you know, to the powers that be when it comes to like their financial contracts and media and all this other stuff. I don't think ESPN is actively trying to destroy the big 12 or has been doing that for a while. I think they're just saying, look, if this is what you're trying to do, this is what we can offer. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I don't think that amounts I mean, to torturous. I mean, it is torturous a funny inter- coincidence. Interference. <laughs> torturous interference is one of my favorite like things that I've learned about in this news cycle. I, I mean, I do think it's an interesting coincidence that the big 12, uh, their primary media rights holder partner is Fox, who, by the way, is also the primary, you know, media partner of the Big Ten Network and so on. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, there's a part of me that from a football standpoint is assuming we're rapidly moving toward a future where you have more of an NFL life structure among a power four or maybe even power two conferences where you have two divisions that have you know 30 some good teams in them each and we end up having a 64 team tournament at the end of the season right. and 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 blood flows in the streets uh, but but as i got to thinking about this i'm like gosh you know if i really wanted to get into the conspiracy theory behind all this you have the espn conference or division on one side of college football <laughs> yeah, and the fox Black. sports convention you know the fox sports that's, division a, that's where my real loyalties lie it's it's which sports network is broadcast well, i mean because you're going to have the, the the big 10 plus whatever big 12 castoffs plus the pac 12 or whatever you know big 12 castoffs they absorb mm-hmm. and then over here you have you know the ac because because espn you know has their network relationships uh, the acc network and the sec network right. uh with those couple of conferences so you know i mean it it's almost like those two and then i guess yes yeah, cbs sports and nbc have some uh, you know, second tier rights to some of these teams. But I mean, it really does feel like whether it's true or not, whether, and, and, and I'm not sure I'm convinced one way or the other, how much backdoor dealing in smoke filled rooms or are driving these things. Um, but it, I mean, it does feel like the media rights game between ESPN and Fox sports. Those, those are kind of well, the two magnets that are drawing things, right? All of this will become moot in five to six years when ESPN, which is owned by Disney, will become the uh, the sister company to the Fox Sports, which will then also be owned by Disney. And it, it's a, it'll be moot. It won't matter because it'll just be college football presented by Disney, yeah. a mm. subsidiary of Viacom or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> and that's fine. And, and everything will just be the same. And then we won't have to worry about this ever again. Um, and there'll just be one big super conference and then eventually just one big super team and they're just scrimmaging against themselves. There you go. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's fine. All individuality. It'll just be ice nine. All individual individuality will be taken away from college sports and athletics. Al- Alabama team, team A and Alabama team B. Yeah. Get it for all the marbles. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And every team's Alabama. Because all right friends it is time now for ask us anything one of my favorite parts of the show and i know it's one of yours as always the 11 dubcast is brought to you by the dry goods store at 11 warriors.com dry warriors.com hats t-shirts stickers barware only the finest except no substitute if you haven't bought something from the dry goods store lately you know back to school is coming maybe get a t-shirt for that student of yours that you really love so that when they go back to school in a few weeks 
they go back in style, high style. I highly recommend a t-shirt from the dragon store at 11 warriors.com. Johnny, I've got one for you from the Twitter. We can start with, and then I know you have got uh, a bucket yeah, of ask us anything. Uh, Brian has been very patient. I've been sitting this one, sitting on this one for a couple weeks now. Um, he, he asked the question and it was, it was based off a hypothetical, the big 10 networks, Twitter feed throughout there. Uh, the former star from your big 10 school that you'd most like to add to this year's teams and Bryant's Bryant's hypothetical was do you skip Orlando Pace or Archie Griffin because you feel pretty good about this year's offense and instead add, you know, insert defensive back here. He has a tongue-in-cheek play that, you know, Jack Tatum, although Tatum would have been ejected in the first six yeah. plays for targeting. Um, but, but but is there a player that you say, man, a Buckeye grade of yesteryear that I would absolutely plug into this team this season? Who do you got? I mean, it's got to be Winfield, right? Like that's, man. I mean. Oh, what a great answer. Yeah, I mean, it, and look, to say nothing, take nothing away from the really, really great cornerbacks that Ohio State has had. I mean, I mean, shoot, you can go down the list just in the past 10, 15 years of guys that would be really amazing to have. I mean, even even dude like Malcolm Jenkins, right? He's not a true corner, but like he would be incredible. Uh, but I think it's, it's got to be Winfield, but that would be that would be my pick straight up just because the toughness, the versatility. I mean, the dude could do pretty much everything. And, you know, if, if that's that's the thing, if you have a part of your team, you know, if you have a positional group that you're not super confident, in, you definitely want a guy who's really versatile. And I think Winfield even today could do so many different things for Ohio state this year. God, I love that answer. I, I was going to say, I have two Ohio state footballs on the shelf in my office, uh, autographed uh, footballs. I'm not, I'm not big on autographed merch. Uh, I have, I, I guess I have three autographed things in, in my, uh, in my den here. Um, one is a pair of Kyle Snyder autographed shoes, uh, I bought those. I, I didn't ask him to autograph them because I felt weird covering an athlete and asking him to sign shoes, but wanted to have something to commemorate the year he won uh, gold. And, and that was my first season covering the wrestling team for 11 Warriors. So I have Kyle Snyder autographed wrestling shoes. I've got a football autographed by Archie Griffin, who is, I think, will always be my favorite Ohio State player of all time. And he played before I was born. Let's be very clear about that. But he was also the first Ohio State legend I ever met. And mm. dad and I met him like randomly in the airport. We were flying to San Francisco. I was in a speaking contest out there and um, <laughs> dad, uh, I'm sitting there. We're like on a bench in the B concourse at uh, Port Columbus International Airport. I'm like, dad, I think that guy over there's Archie Griffin. And dad's like, are you pretty sure? I said, yeah. He's like, okay, let's go meet him. And we got mm -hmm. up and went and Archie is the nicest human being I think I've ever oh, yeah. met. But the answer to my question was going to be my other autographed football chris spielman the linebacker himself uh i'm, I'm a huge spiels fan but i have to say your answer much better than mine so uh <laughs> circle gets the square point to johnny ray ginner all right johnny what do we have in the mailbag other ask us anything questions this week brian thanks by the way for waiting i think that was a great question in via yeah, excellent twitter uh, yeah, so just as a reminder, you can send us questions on Twitter, but also to dubcast at 11warriors.com. And let's start off with this one uh, from Jacob, who says, 
I recently discovered that OSU has an endowed academic position named after legendary uh, football coach Woody Hayes, the Hayes Chair in National Security. Uh, what are some other cool ways you have seen or would like to see of using athletics to support the academic mission? I would like to see a lecture series that follows the home football schedule for a college or collection of departments. Whichever team is playing the Buckeyes at Ohio Stadium that week also sends a professor to deliver a lecture. That is a really cool idea to have like an ambassador, you know, go from like place to place and whatever. I think that's a really cool idea. I think honestly, this is what I would say with, with NIL. Okay. We're, we're talking about all this stuff and whatnot. Maybe get the business schools involved a little bit, right? Maybe make that a, a more embedded part of the actual uh, academic environment of the colleges and, and try to integrate that because, you know, people are always complaining about how separate and these big schools, you know, the athletic department is from the actual school, maybe have a little bit of synergy there, I think. I think that might be a really cool idea and then uh, allow students to try to get some kind of credit for maybe the NRI, their NIL deals, depending on what kind of work they're doing for it and maybe have a mentor within the, you know, the business program. I think that would be really cool. I think that would be a good idea. I think they should try that out. I love the Woody Hayes chair because it just fit so much. Uh, Coach Hayes, I'm... I've read several books about Coach Hayes, and one of the things that you get from reading the scholarship on him is that he thought of himself as a teacher first, mm -hmm. and and that his job, in essence, was teaching these young men the game of football and the metaphor for life that the game of football is. Like I think Woody really believed that, and and lived that way. And the stories about him are great. I mean, let's you know, like finding uncashed paychecks in his desk and you know, right. that he, i mean you know he worked for nickel 95 an hour and lived in a normal house in upper arlington and you know it was just a working stiff doing a job better than anybody else was doing it like it just it, it's a cool so i love that that that's the endowed chair that's named for woody hayes because that was also obviously an area of, of scholarship that he was super passionate about um but but i do think there's some cool things like that that have happened. The other one that I thought of as soon as you asked the question was, it was in 2008, 2009, somewhere about that part. It was during the, um, the Jim Trestle era that uh, the Department of Athletics gave, I, I want to say $9 million to help the um, renovation of the William Oxley Thompson Library oh, yeah. at, at Ohio cool. State. Uh, you know, so Ohio State's athletic department makes bank, right? Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. 180, $190 million a year, something like that. So seeing the department, you know, pay it forward academically was really cool. And another sizable donation. I, I, I looked this up in the Lantern archives uh, was made by football coach, Jim Tressel and his wife, Ellen, and uh, they were co-chairs of the contribution campaign. And so they um, named the outdoor terrace, the Tressel terrace, on the fourth floor. I, I assume that's still there. That's now 11, 12 years ago. Um, but I, I thought, and, and apparently coach Tressel donated all the royalties from his book, the winner's manual to mm -hmm. the library, according to that article in the lantern uh, from cool. 2009. Yeah. So I just think that's, I think that's really incredible. I love the idea about the visiting scholar ambassador guest lecture thing. I think that's really, I think that's a really fantastic idea, but I, I do love that when you can use the power of Ohio State football, which is huge, to pay it forward for the academic mission, I, that that's one of the good things about amateur athletics, as it were. We 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 kind of I think get cynical and jaded about where amateur athletics is going uh, in the modern era, but I I do think there's still some cool things about that that interplay between academics and athletics that that can be done for good. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, okay, so this next one here is from uh, Nelson Broadway, who wants to know, uh, have have there ever been any coaching hires where you thought, what? They hired that guy? Not good. Uh, for him, it was Charlie Weiss at Kansas, Jim Bowman at Michigan State, Michigan State uh, rearranging the assistant coaches. I can't seem to remember any time I've been wrong. Okay, I want to tell you something. First of all, all right, Nelson, the two examples that you really give here, Charlie Weiss at Kansas and then Jim Bowman at Michigan State, I don't know how much credit you should really give yourself for those two. I don't know that there was anybody going, Jim Bowman, that guy's an offensive mastermind. That's a great hire. I, I don't know. And I seem to remember, I seem to remember that I, in fact, made a fake contract with Jim Bowman signing with Michigan State where I just basically implied that he was a walrus the entire time. <laughs> so I don't, I just, I'm just saying it, it's not that much of a stretch to say that that was not going to work out super hot. However, I will say that one guy who I used to just be like, wow, this is the coolest dude. He's hilarious, blah, blah, blah. And now I'm kind of like, why would the hell would anybody hire this guy is uh, Mike Leach, who has just gotten really kind of increasingly unhinged. At the every, pirate. Yeah. At every successive stop. Um, and I think the last two times he's been hired, I'm like, mm, I don't know. It's going to work out for more than like 10 minutes. So that's, that would be my answer to your, uh, to your question. Yeah. I, I think I, Les Miles kind of fills that role for me now. He was a guy that when there was a time when I was like, God, I want Michigan to hire Les Miles so bad mm -hmm. because he's hilariously entertaining at press conferences, which is, you know, the number one thing you look for in a college football coach at the FBS level uh mike leach and <laughs> mike leach and les miles in the same conference that would be a gift from the content gods but but there again like the longer time has passed you know i've i've thought you know yeah maybe uh, not not, not, a, maybe, not maybe great, the grass eating thing wasn't like a not, up. not a great hire <laughs> probably not yeah. a great hire the 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 deal about uh charlie weiss i mean has there has there been anyone who has made more money from their former employers in the sport of college football than Charlie Weiss. I mean, I want to say he was being paid not to coach football by like three teams at one point. <laughs> yeah. Who is he? The Bobby, ben is it Bobby Bo? Is that? Yeah. The I, was, I, think, I was trying to think that I'm trying to remember. Cause that, that, that comes up on my social media feeds about once a year, that reminder today's the day. Yeah. <laughs> he got paid. Yay. Got paid more power to him. And yes, no, I, Charlie Weiss was in the same situation. Charlie Weiss. Yeah. Like, making crap tons of money and yeah i just i don't know man it, it, there i know we were talking about the peter principle and failing yep. upward and whatnot yep. and yep. uh that that's why i tend to err on the side of people throwing darts at a wall when it comes to certain decisions that are being made and whatnot not necessarily you know don't ascribe to malice what you could ascribe to stupidity i feel that absolutely <laughs> applies to college football and I, I feel like the proof is in the pudding when you see a guy like Charlie Weiss still making millions of dollars, despite not being a coach for several years. So that, that's just kind of how I feel about that. And, you know, guys that we crap on at Ohio state assistant coaches, they're like, Oh my God, get this guy out of here. They're in the NFL. They're a position coach. They're making 200, $500,000, whatever. And you're like, how the hell does this happen? And it's because he's a dude and they know other dudes and they'll continue to get hired regardless of whatever their 
actual uh, coaching credentials are. So and you were know. right. You, you were right. It is Bobby Bonilla, and we're just about a month past Bobby Bonilla Day. Yeah, July first. The Mets Shout paid out to that dude one point one nine million dollars, uh, and 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 I had to go back and look this up. So every July first, the now fifty eight year old former Met gets that check for $1.19 million and he will do so every year until 2035. Uh, That's, that's right. Friends for another (laughs) more than a decade, Bobby's going to be cashing that check every July one. And and this goes back to 2000 and 2000, the Mets agreed to buy out the remaining 5.9 million on his contract. But instead of doing so, they agreed to take annual payments for 25 years starting july 1 of 2011 with a negotiated eight percent interest (laughs) i i i'm i mean wow but and i'd forgotten this like uh, but but i was Mm. reading dan mullen at espn.com that the the story here was at the time mets were in bernie madoff oh yeah yeah the whole yeah i'd forgotten that yes it was they were they were gonna make a buttload of money right double digit returns by doing <laughs> yeah it's it was it was all part of the scam it was all part of the madoff scam that's the funniest part about it that's the best part about it because bonia is like all right <laughs> he just gets paid for bonia hasn't played an inning of baseball in a decade yeah and is going to be cashing in on this deal until he's 72 yep and that's and that's again that's what i'm saying this dude outsmarted everybody and it's again, you've got an entire organization worth a billion dollars couldn't figure this out. So, but, but you, wait a minute, I got to, I got to take the, There's, there's more to this story, Johnny. So, Bobby has a second deferred contract plan right. with the Mets. Yes, he gets another half million for 25 years Correct. that started in 2004. Correct. Yes. Many Christmas. So it's more than just that. Yeah, it's great. It's oh really God. great, and it's you know. More power to Bobby. Did you Bonilla. wait a minute? Did you know that Ken Griffey Jr. is still getting paid by the Reds? I did not know that actually. According, according to the same article from Mullen, this blows my mind. So, so, so Junior's getting. I feel bad points. as a Reds fan. I should know this. No, I, I've, I don't. I've never. We, you hear about Bobby Bonilla Day every single year. I've never heard this story before. This is wild. Ken Griffey Jr. It says will receive three point five nine million from the Reds every year through two thousand twenty four. So this one's about oh. over as the deferral from his nine-year $116 million deal signed in 2000. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, that's why, you know. and Good for was, him. I love that guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Played King. Ken Griffey Jr. baseball on, uh, on on my Super Nintendo. Fantastic human being. I, I'm a big Griffey fan as well. Good for uh, him. I, I am glad the Reds seem to be ringing every single cent out of uh, Joey Votto that they can possibly get. And he's still bang, so that's good. Uh, but yeah, more power to Griffey, more power to Bobby Bo. Um, I think that's awesome. Yeah, that's why. Last question here. This is from our good friend Alvin, and he just wants to, to know. He says, Tell us your best fishing story. That's oh, wow. it. And I, you know, I went fishing a lot as a kid. My my grandparents, big time fishers, love to go fishing down at you know Caesar Creek and uh mostly just Caesar Creek, but other places. Uh <laughs> and you know, we just fish for bluegill and crappie and whatever i don't have any really great stories from that i mean we we sat in a boat and we we caught bluegill and crappie and then we went back to my grandparents place and they you know fillet them and then fry them and that was it but i also have been uh open ocean fishing a couple times and i think i've gone like maybe four times 
and the first three times i mean these are like we're going out on a boat we're out on the ocean for three or four hours i've I, nothing i caught nothing in, in each of these three times it just drove me insane and finally my family took a trip um when i was maybe 18 or 19 to boston and we did an open ocean fishing trip and god we were out there for at least three or four hours and again nothing and i was just like i'm I'm going to jump in the ocean to try to catch something if I don't get something. And literally in the last five minutes before the boat was about, all right, let's get the hell out of here. I finally caught this thing. I caught, I got like a, like a white fish kind of thing. It was about, I don't know, 18, 20 inches. Um, I was like, I'm keeping this thing. We're eating it. So we, I, they clean it. They cut up in the fillets and whatever, you know, for us on the boat, we take it back to where we're staying. We fry it up. It is the most disgusting fish I've ever had in my entire life, but I ate all of it because I was like, finally, after years of trying, I finally have caught and defeated this fish. I'm going to eat it. And it was just gross as hell. Terrible. But I ate it. So it was fine. Anyway, that's my fishing story. That's what I I do not have any good fishing stories. I will say that we were very fortunate growing up on the farm uh the 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 farm had a pond and so we went fishing quite a lot at the the pond there dad and little brother and various cousins and i so so i i suppose maybe i sort of took it for granted that we could go fishing literally anytime we want so we had had large mouth and and uh, a lot of bluegill in there as well Mm -hmm. so spent a lot of time over there in the old cow pond fishing um need to get out and do that again that's something my my wife loves to go fishing so we need to get the little tyke down to the farm and and uh yeah, it's a good time get a rod and reel she's old enough now to cast a rod for sure so what to i have to think about doing that so yeah good, uh, well, good on see, you, i'm telling good you Cedar creek i know i know you're a little bit further away from that but Cedar creek pretty pretty good place to go i enjoyed that quite a bit um that was a fun place to go to go uh crappie and bluegill I, they got and they got you know bass down there too but that's it's pretty good um but that's it that's asked us anything thank you for sending those in those were excellent and uh, we'll continue answering them all right, quick cowls as we wrap things up. Um, a quick report on the games of the is it the thirty eighth Olympiad? Is that what they keep saying when oh, I watch? God, I don't even know. Uh, they say it at the beginning of the thing, and I always remember keep remem- reminding myself to remember it, and then I never actually do. A couple odds and ends. Um, uh, had several Ohio State uh, athletes who were doing good things at the Olympics. Christina Clemens and the hundred meter hurdles made it to the semifinals there and finished with the. I want to say the 14th overall fastest time. Well done. Alec Yoder represented um, the university on the pommel horse. He finished a 14.566, good enough for sixth in a really tough field there. Um, had, I want to say, former Ohio State rower Ilsa Paulus became the first former Buckeye to claim a medal, earning bronze in the lightweight double representing the Netherlands. So very cool. Hunter Armstrong also got a gold as one of the preliminary swimmers on the U.S. men's 4x100 medley relay team. Uh, I didn't realize that they did this until I was reading the Hunter Armstrong story that the guys who run the prelims are not the same ones who run the actual race. I don't know. Did you watch the 4x100 final? That was a fantastic race. I watched... I watched so much swimming uh, over the past. I mean, I would expect to because you are a swimmer, so you actually know what the heck's happening other than the people are going fast in the pool. I got to tell you something, though. Rowdy Gaines and Dan Hicks, those those guys are so, so good at their jobs. Rowdy, he just gets so worked up, and I love it. I love when an I mean, it's like the Gus Johnson thing, right? I know everybody has feelings about announcers, but I love when the announcer is not only – good at their job which my sense is a neophyte who knows nothing about the technical mm. aspect of swimming it 
I get the sense that Rowdy really knows what he's talking about. He does. But he's when so, he's so well informed about everything. He's great. and he's so good. Like when he gets into it, as those races are coming out of the wire, I, I just really, as a fellow broadcast professional, enjoy him on the call. I've also really been impressed um, with Michael Phelps as a studio analyst. Like I think he's really good. I feel yeah. like I'm getting smarter when I listen to him talking with Mike Tirico, who, by the way. Tariko is the Iron Man. That guy can do anything. He's mm -hmm. really, really good. Yeah, I like the I like the group that they've got for broadcasting. I think they have a really solid, uh, you know, core broadcasting group. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I watched all of it. I mean, I watched pretty much every single final that they had. I'm not a huge fan of the 50 meters being a uh, an Olympic event because it's I don't know. I, I don't want to get super far into it. I just think it's a little too basic. But it was still cool because Dressel won, and you know that's yeah. That's, I mean, as long as the team USA medal. is bringing home the gold, that's uh, great. Then right, that's cool that. with me. Um, but really, for my money, I mean, the relays were a lot of fun, and and you know they always close out whatever meet you're swimming. I always close it out with the medley relays, but um, the that was fun, and of course, the United States kept up their streak of always winning that, which is hilarious that they've been able to maintain that. Yeah. Uh, and that really does speak to U.S. dominance just in swimming in general, because it's it's one thing to find four people who can swim their free really fast. That that's not as hard to do. It's harder to find four people who can swim each individual event really really fast, and that's part of mm -hmm. why the United States is so dominant in that particular event. But for my money, the best two races that i saw were uh bobby fink coming out there and and oh my god nailing the 1500 was great that right? was the mile was great that was cool last 50 he had uh both of the guys in front of him dead to rights and just blew by him in the last 25 that's great but really the 800 was my favorite because he was coming out of nowhere yeah. and and really it, it's kind of hard to read the body language of swimmers sometimes I mean, you can you can't depending on the uh stroke like in breaststroke you can definitely tell when somebody's freaking out that somebody else is coming up on them because they're looking at the other lane line there you know uh but in the 800 it, the, the closing that that dude did that was just hilarious and awesome and I, I enjoyed the hell out of it it was it was an awesome awesome swimming meet for us swimmers and it's not like they won like a huge amount of medals more than i mean they did but not more than they normally do it was, you know, in, in terms of that, it was just kind of an average meet, but lots of excitement, a lot of fun. I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was great. Yeah. Can uh, programming note wrestling kicked off. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention oh, yeah, this, let's go. wrestling kicked off over the weekend with both women's freestyle and uh, men's Greco Roman. Uh, Kyle Snyder will be wrestling August the 7th. So it'll be coming up on Saturday, the men's freestyle 97 kilogram bracket. So freestyle men's freestyle is kind of what closes out the week. So we'll start men's freestyle on Thursday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday will be men's freestyle. Uh, but if you haven't, watch the women's freestyle team team usa is really really good so go back and watch some of the women's freestyle matches and then uh, greco as well greco doesn't get enough love uh i don't think among u.s wrestling fans in in general other quick cows before we wrap up the program uh we had uh, player ratings for every buckeye in madden nfl 22 including <laughs> justin fields and the other rookies if you didn't see that over the weekend if you are not a big gamer you want to go back and check that out michael thomas topped the list of former buckeyes there with a rating of 94 the boza brothers um, were both at 90 i guess boza joey was at 92 nick was at 90 and cameron hayward my favorite nfl player of the pittsburgh steelers 
came in at 92. You a big uh, Madden NFL guy there, John? No. <laughs> sitting around playing. No, because it's, and I'll get in. I, I could spend an hour whining about this, but just all the, it's so scripted and they're not, I don't know, the, the game, you're, you're playing a scripted game and it sucks and I don't like it. How about that? Justin Fields scored a 94, according to the rating. Feels a little low to me, but he's a rookie. So we'll yeah. see. We'll see what that looks like next season. And we'll finish out with this. Dwayne Washington Jr. decided to take his talents away from the Schottenstein Center and uh, signed a two way contract with the Indiana Pacers, an undrafted free agent after the NBA draft. Were you surprised that Dwayne was not drafted? Uh, and do you think the Pacers are a good destination for him? Will we be seeing Dwayne playing? in the NBA for reels anytime soon? I don't know. I, that's a really good question. I, I think he'll get a shot and he, he definitely has raw talent, but I'm not surprised he was UDFA. Um, Indianapolis is an interesting spot for him. So he'll, he'll get a chance. And if he can prove he's up to it and he can find kind of a, a niche role and, and, you know, and, but the Pacers, then I think he'll, he'll, make some appearances i just i don't see this guy as an nba starter i don't i would be surprised if something like that happened i i did not know anything about the two-way contract scenario prior to this but the gist of it is is that players who are signed under one of these can play up to 45 days on an nba roster while also playing in the g league mm -hmm. um he would not be eligible to play in the nba playoffs part of the reason that washington ended up i think staying in the draft was because he had a really good uh, run in the G League elite camp shine there caught the eyes of some of the evaluators um, to become one of the four participants in the 40 player showcase to earn an invite to the draft combine which he did and the rest as they say is history so good luck to Dwayne and that'll do it for quick cows uh, as we wrap up another edition of the 11 dubcast so quite a lot to talk about this week and we will have more this time next week we'll of course have the update of what happens with former ohio state buckeye kyle snyder in the olympics and as the world turns in the crazy universe of college football conference realignment uh, nil developments does ohio state have another new quarterback on the roster who knows we'll talk about that more next week same bat time same bat channel until then i'm andy i'm johnny thanks for listening to the 11 dubcast